This week on Geek Explained, to celebrate my birthday, we're diving into one of my favorite comfort comics. So join me as I put the Geek Explained spotlight on Captain America and Bucky, the life and times of Bucky Barnes. <laughs> Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Kazana, and today's episode is my birthday episode! Sort of. I mean, it's it's not going to be my birthday when you are listening to this, as you are listening to this, as recording. Uh, this Saturday, as of this recording, uh, August 12th, is my birthday, so we're doing it up! We are doing a little, uh, little episode made specifically for me by me uh for me but that is uh usually how i kind of go about making this podcast but this week especially because as i am staring down the journey around the sun one more time for me i wanted to go back and look at one of my comfort comics and knowing me you know that if i'm talking about comfort comics it's usually either superman or captain america and this time make mine marvel because i am going to be putting the geek explain spotlight on captain america and bucky the life and times of bucky barnes this is written by ed brubaker and mark andraco with art by chris somney you know this is a book again made almost specifically for me uh that is what this episode is going to be about we also have of course this week's comics countdown where i'll chat you up about all the comics you should be picking up this week and we have our latest weekly review on the last two episodes of my adventures with superman tons of stuff to talk about this week so make sure you stay tuned after the the jump for that but for now let's roll right on into the main event the main course the entree if you will as i put the geek explain spotlight on captain america and bucky the life and times of bucky barnes bucky i told you yeah i know but we're partners right let's finish this If you have listened to this podcast for any length of time, I think by now you know that I'm a big fan of Captain America. But I don't think I've ever talked about on the podcast how I became a fan of Captain America. This had to have been, gosh, I mean, years ago, at least 20 um, I was still very, very young, and I was at daycare, and I remember our daycare took us to 
a roller skating rink. I could not tell you for the life of me where this was, what the name of the skating rink was. I believe it was in, God, it, it had to have been in New Mexico, right? When we were living in New Mexico. Um, maybe not. Maybe it was in Colorado. Who knows? But I remember going to this roller skating rink and not really, I mean, loving roller skating. I've never been incredibly coordinated. And I remember I was much more enchanted by the arcade that you would find at literally every roller skating rink. And one specific cabinet in the arcade was a game called Marvel Superheroes. Now, this was pre-Marvel vs. Capcom. This was before the big fighting game boom of superheroes showing up and fighting other characters from other franchises or having their own games like Injustice. This was a long ways before that. And I distinctly remember falling in love with the visuals of this game. The game was based off of the Infinity Gauntlet storyline in the comics. So everybody and their mother was trying to fight for these Infinity Gems. That's right, they used to be Infinity Gems before they were stones. But the basic thing was you would fight... You would choose one of several different Marvel Comics characters. You would fight, and during your fight, specific Infinity Gems would appear. And those Infinity Gems would give you boosts. They'd give you power-ups. They'd give you um, access to stronger abilities. And if you beat on your opponent enough, you would be able to steal their Infinity Gem. And over the course of playing through the arcade mode, you would be able to collect them, leading up to a climactic battle against the other character hunting for the Infinity Gems, which was, of course, Thanos. And I remember I didn't know a whole lot about Marvel. I was a DC kid when I was very small, and so I was hunting for a character to play as. And I remember I first, of course, had to play as Wolverine because that was one of the few Marvel characters that I was familiar with. But I wasn't very good. I was like, I was bad. Let's just, I'll, let's just be honest. I was bad at the game. And then I picked another character. Someone who I could instantly recognize because I knew what the American flag was and a character who I could get some distance with long range in fighting games is busted it always has been busted and if you know how to use it correctly you can beat anybody and so I picked a character called Captain America and whether it was the ability to throw his big old frisbee that was adorned in the red, white, and blue, whether it was his patriotic nature, whether it was his infinity combo, final justice, I fell in love with this character. So much so that in the preceding uh, daycare sessions, I would pick up any frisbee that I could and use it as a shield, and I would throw it at people. <laughs> Which is probably not a good thing for a kid to be doing, just chucking frisbees at people. But 
I, from that moment, was a huge fan of Captain America. And anytime he popped up in literally anything, I ate it up. I had to know who this character was, what he was about. Uh, this character introduced me to the concept of World War II. So you can see how much comic books had an influence on my life and how little our public education could do due to the restraints that they have been under. Pay your teachers, pay them fair wages, pay everyone fair wages. We all need to live. But I love Captain America. And it all started because of this video game. And over the years, I would learn more about Captain America's adventures, his true civilian identity as Corporal Steve Rogers, his... Rip Van Winkle story of falling asleep in the 1940s and waking up in modern day, or if you went by the actual real-world chronology, 20 years. He went into the ice in 1944, 1945, woke up in like 1964. So it wasn't originally that long. It was enough to get some distance and be like, whoa, that was weird. But it wasn't, you know, like 50, 60 years like it is nowadays. And... I also got to know about his sidekick, teenage James Buchanan Barnes. And I thought, when I was a small boy, that Bucky was the coolest character in the world. Because he got to be best friends with Captain America. Can you imagine that? Seeing your hero... And being able to call him your partner, being able to fight alongside him for truth, justice, and the right to punch Nazis. And I loved this character. However, unlike his contemporary Dick Grayson, who I would later grow up with and find out all of the history that he had as, you know, the boy wonder, as a teen titan, as Nightwing, and so on and so forth... I found out very quickly that Bucky's story ended prematurely in that he did not make the trip with Cap to the modern day, that he had perished in the 1940s. And so you could not imagine my surprise, my excitement, and my worry when Ed Brubaker brought the character back as the Winter Soldier. This was a character who I had deeply loved. And like characters like uh, Uncle Ben, Jason Todd, I revered this character. I was like, Bucky is incredible. I loved his outfit. When I was a kid, I wanted to dress up in the Bucky outfit because his look also kind of resembled a blue variant of the Rocketeer, another movie that I was obsessed with. And I was concerned that this character was going to be unrecognizable and that he was going to you know ed brubaker was going to bring back this character and ruin him for me specifically because you know when you're a kid or even i mean when this was happening i was in high school you kind of expect that comic writers are writing specifically to you they're like, oh, you like this character? Well, I don't like him, so I'm going to put him through the worst shit imaginable just so that you have a rough day. And <laughs> I was pleasantly surprised 
and I was exhilarated by the Winter Soldier saga and by Bucky's continual journey to try and figure out where he fit in this world that didn't understand him. It also helped that he was edgy as fuck boy and I was edgy as fuck boy when I was in high school and I was like this is the coolest character and Bucky is really a character who has grown and evolved over the course of my lifetime from this idealized yet cautionary tale of the sidekick who went a little bit too far to this edgy you know mid to late 2000s version of this anime protag killer and then growing to find love growing to find acceptance growing to find identity for a short time filling the role of his mentor and friend and now as he continues on his journey to find his own way whether it's as the winter soldier whether it's as the white wolf whether it's as the revolution bucky has come a long way and the life story of Bucky Barnes is not for the faint of heart. But that is why we are diving into it this week. Because it's my birthday, and I wanted to talk about one of my comfort comics. That being Captain America and Bucky, the life story of Bucky Barnes. This is written by Ed Brubaker and Mark Andreco with art by my boy Chris Somney. You know how much I love Chris Somney and you know how much Brubaker's cap has affected me and the way that I like things. <laughs> uh, this was a five issue miniseries that was originally from the pages of Captain America and Bucky issue 620 through 624. You can find it I have the trade. I don't know how old this is. I know that I've had this for a very long time. But this was a comic that I stumbled upon when I was able to buy comics for myself. And I wanted to get more... I mean, collect more comics. That's the whole deal, is us collecting comics, reading comics, that whole thing. And... On the cover, seeing that Ed McGinnis art, and I have talked about before on this podcast and outside this podcast, how much Ed McGinnis's art is hit and miss for me, but these covers slap. These covers drive so hard. And on the trade, I believe it's Captain America and Bucky 621. It's the two of them, you know, bursting through this showreel of Captain America on the motor on the motorcycle with a little sidecar. It's just, it's everything. It's everything you could want. But this book truly is your guide to Bucky Barnes as a character. Uh, there's another comic this, uh, this week, as of this recording, that's coming out that's illustrated by uh, Chris Somney. That's uh, the, it's, I think it's the Mighty Thor, God of Thunder. It's a... It's a comic, it's a miniseries written by Lee Luffridge with Arpe Chris Somney that re-kind of contextualizes the origin point, the origin story of Thor, the god of thunder, uh, for the modern day. And there's something about Chris Somney's art that if you are a newcomer to uh, comic books, immediately draws you in. And it feels timeless. And it f has this great... I mean, obviously, there is that argument of it's, you know, that cartoony style, not unlike a Doc Shaner, um, a Leo Romero. Um, 
it's it's incredible and i love it and it does a great job in not only bringing you in because it gives you that feeling of watching saturday morning cartoons but it's also timeless this style will never get will never go out of vogue it's always accepted it's always wonderful and though there is something to be said for your more realistic I guess more uh, photorealistic styles that you will see more detail more texture I have always loved art like this art like Chris Somney and this might have been my first exposure to Chris Somney if I have to think about it which is weird because I, I, for as long as I can remember, I've loved Chris Somney's art, but this might be where I discovered Chris Somney for me and for my personal um, comic-enjoying career. But this story across five issues gives you the full breakdown, gives you an introduction to the character unlike any that had come before. This gives you from step by step by step by issue by issue by issue the true story of Bucky and how he came to be the Winter Soldier. Now, obviously, written by Brubaker and Andreco, you know this is full of spy thriller, pulp heroism, with a dash of cynicism and a whole lot of reverence for continuity and for the history of these characters. But across these five issues, you also get to see the story of a kid loving Captain America and trying to find his way in the world. He wasn't really loved as much by the wider public as a kid. He was always getting in fights. He and his sister, after the um, passing of their mom, really didn't have a whole lot to hold on to. Their dad, who was active military, had a tough time connecting with his son and his daughter, and even though he did the best that he could, there was always kind of a divide there. There was a barrier. There was something that neither of them could cross, and it was something that carried through their entire relationship. You know, James was a troubled kid, always getting in fights, disagreements, not really feeling like he connected with anybody or anything. And though his dad tried to do the best that he could, like I said, there was a disconnect. The two of them could never really get on the same page, even though they desperately tried to. And unfortunately, they never got the chance because Bucky's dad passed during a... during a... um uh, I believe he was an airplane accident, something because he was working in the military. Um, yeah, it was some kind of maneuvers that went wrong. It was a practice session that cost the life of James and his sister's uh, dad. And so I believe his sister's name was Becca. Let me check this. I've got this up here with me. Uh, let me see. Yes, Becca. And this kid had to grow up very quickly in a system that he didn't really understand. Uh, his sister went into the system and went to a boarding school while he stayed on base and got into the military effort. It's weird looking at this because it's a story that while not one for one, it's a story that I am familiar with. 
you know, growing up in the time that I did, there was a certain reverence for our military. And as you kind of, or as I grew older, that reverence became a little bit more jaded as time went on. And though Bucky was determined to find his place in the world, he wasn't always successful. And though he continued to try and make his way through this ever-changing landscape as the country went into war, full-scale, World War II... He finally found his place during basic training when he saw a showreel of Captain America fighting in the war. And immediately, just like I did when I saw him on this arcade screen, he was enamored with Captain America. He was transfigured fixed on the red, white, and blue being this character that he could idolize, that he could strive towards, not only from the standpoint of, oh, this is a character who represents all the values that I am idealizing and I've been brought up to idealize, but it's also a connection that he had been desperately yearning for in a father figure that felt familiar with the military background and the fact that he was so into the idea of protecting the country but there was a distance there there was something that he could hold on to because i mean to his knowledge this was perhaps a fictional character this was you know you you see something on your screen whether it's real or it's not it's kind of like the way when you see a celebrity for the first time it's like they're not real until they're right in front of you and unfortunately that gives people carte blanche to say some truly awful and vile things on social media social media is a curse it just is but when you get to see those people in person for some reason voila they're suddenly real and Bucky seeing Captain America as this maybe stand-in for his dad was this, it lit this fire underneath him. And him getting the opportunity to go after the same things and to push himself to one day be as great as Captain America carried him through all of his training, all of this mysterious uh training that he was being put through by the U.S. military. And then the day finally came when he was called to service. There's this great uh, page where he's sitting on this... um on this carrier with all of these escorts and they're just all these nameless faceless uh, soldiers who will not look at him will not speak and this kid is being brought to Camp Lehigh and doesn't know exactly what's going on until he is put face to face with one Corporal Steve Rogers a man who and I cannot stress this enough is only four years older than Bucky and this, I think, gets by people sometimes. I know for me, it blew my mind when I realized that this was the case. Bucky was 16 years old when he became this uh, dynamic sidekick to the world's greatest patriot. Steve Rogers was 20 years old. I am 10 years, by the time you're listening to this, 
I will almost be 11 years older than Steve Rogers was when he became Captain America. Still blows my mind. But these two young men meet each other, and there is an instant connection. Because as soon as Bucky sees Steve Rogers, he's not in anything special. He's wearing the normal uh, military fatigues. He knows who this guy is. The broad shoulders, the upright posture, the classic square jaw. This is Captain fucking America. And as the two get to know each other, they realize that they have a lot in common. They were kids who maybe didn't come from the best homes, but found purpose in their work, found purpose in being of service. And then Steve gives James an offer. He says, I want you to be my partner. He hands him a box, and this box holds a uniform. As James puts it on, he realizes his life as James Barnes might be over, but his life as Bucky has just begun. And across this series, we get to see Bucky buy in. Again, I cannot stress enough how good Samney's art is in this. And also how good Brubaker's voice for Bucky is. It's really strange, right? Because everyone knows Brubaker's Captain America as this big like reinvention for the character, bringing a, a modern spy thriller aspect to the character and drawing in a lot of people who didn't really maybe enjoy the character as much and br- giving them a reason to care, turning it into a Mission Impossible movie. And... I think a lot of people forget that Brubaker's true run across the Captain America books was really a story about breathing life back into Bucky Barnes because he has the Winter Soldier saga with Steve shortly after the Civil War happens and Steve dies. So the majority of Brubaker's work is spent on Bucky as Captain America, as the Winter Soldier, finding his way. And you can tell how much Brubaker loves this character and how badly he wanted people to love this character as much as he does. And so you get to see, over time, Bucky buy in 100% on being the sidekick of the Sentinel of Liberty. There's this great full-page spread that opens up part two, where it's them bursting through the skylight, not unlike Under the Red Hood, where you get to see Batman and, at the time, Jason Todd Robin busting through a skylight to bust some small-time gangsters. But Bucky is having the time of his life. This is still a game for him this is still him living his dream this is him being enamored with a superhero and getting to join in on those superheroics and though their uh their theatrical exploits as they are you know recorded into movie serials may not be as accurate as the actual adventures they go on we get to see him up close and personal with the hero himself 
And though he continues to look at this as a game, as this adventure of a lifetime, he pretty quickly realizes that war is hell and that he has to make some very difficult choices. And in part two, he kills for the first time. He is the only person who can stop this runaway train that is put on by this um, this wicked group of individuals who have hijacked a circus train and are going to use a chemical agent to kill everyone at the next station. Bucky has to kill to stop this train from murdering all of these people. And it changes him. It changes him on a fundamental level. And you see for the rest of the story how much that affects him because it is his first time truly being acquainted with war. On part three, he gets to join up with the invaders. And you know how much I love the invaders. The invaders and the JSA are my two favorite uh, superhero groups. I love them so much and seeing cap and bucky alongside the human torch toro and namor the submariner is so cool and it's again brought to life brilliantly by chris somni so we get to see the two of them interacting and fighting alongside the invaders however in part three Bucky has to contend with the fact that he is getting left behind. That everyone else has something special about them. Cap has the super soldier serum. Human Torch and Toro are more or less androids who have the abilities to turn them into fireball maniacs. And the Submariner is the first public mutant. He can fly. He can breathe underwater. He has super strength, near invulnerability. Bucky's just a kid. A very well-trained kid, but a kid nonetheless. And so he is having this inferiority complex while walking among these gods. And then everybody else gets captured. The invaders, in an effort to... Uh, build their own super soldier, are kidnapped by Nazi scientists led by one Arnim Zola to try and give a combined power set to Captain Nazi, who is a legit character, but at this stage is still in experimental stages. He's like, if you're familiar with Amazo, a character who can copy other people's abilities. This is like a bargain bin version of that, where he has the super strength and invulnerability of Namor. He has the fire kinesis of Human Torch and Toro, and he has the agility and combat prowess of Captain America. Bucky has to go up against all of this and just has to survive because this project is still deeply in beta testing so these powers are only going to stick with captain nazi for a very short time so bucky just has to survive this onslaught and it's him armed with cap's shield fighting against the literal personification of his insecurities where he shows just how valuable he is and give 
gives me, and I, rereading this blew my mind, the first instance of I can do this all day. Truly, in this in this book, uh, you see, you know, he's fighting against the Ubermensch. He's getting rocked along these castle walls. He uses the shield to uh, disable the locks containing the other invaders. But the narration goes, I'd heard what Dr. Zola said. This guy's powers were running out, so I didn't have to last long. I just had to last long enough. And if there was one thing I knew, it was how to take a punch. And Captain Nazi continues to beat on him and beat on him. And Bucky staggers to his feet, putting his dukes up, and says, Come on, you big dumb ox. That all you got? And it's one of those beautiful things of, yes, he was trained, given all the best military conditioning that he could. But he was still a teenager. He was still a kid. But he was standing against this nigh-unstoppable god, and he spat in his face and said, You can't handle the amount of fire I'm about to bring to you, and I can take whatever you give me. He holds out long enough for Cap and the other invaders to break free and to take out this ubermensch. And as everyone is making their escape... He is given kind of the biggest stamp of approval that he could with, you know, everyone showing concern. Namor has been Namor, so he's been giving him shit this whole time about being the weak link in the group. And as Bucky is kind of sitting off to the side, <laughs> Namor, in his way, comes to check on him. And he's standing there and he's looking at him with those attack eyebrows. And he just goes, I hope you aren't too injured to walk, Barnes. Because none of us will be carrying you anymore. And he walks away. But that is as close to, hey man, I hope you're good. We're going to be there for you. As Namor can possibly get. And... You can see how much that means to Bucky immediately. Uh, unfortunately, Bucky is still... He is still privy to a lot of the horrors of war. Uh, part 4 has him and Toro infiltrating a prison camp where he finds out about all of the concentration camps. And it's terrible. It's genuinely terrible. The horrors of this story but it's also kind of nice because it doesn't shy away from it it doesn't sugarcoat it this was an atrocity that was committed and bucky has to face it and he puts the absolute smackdown on as many nazis as he can as they are making their way out unfortunately he knows that this experience is going to haunt him that it is going to stick with him for the rest of his life. And as part four closes, we see that it's something that he never really gets over. Because before he can truly process it, he and Cap are called to intercept a chemical agent that is being sent off by one Baron Heinrich Zemo. 
that could spell the end of the ally forces. And from here, if you know the story, you know what happens next. Bucky and Cap get on a plane. The plane explodes, and Cap is sent into the ice for however long it takes for him to get to the modern day. Bucky has to go the long way around. He is cast off into the ice, losing his arm, captured by Soviet forces who subject him to conditioning, training, torture, and experimentation to turn him into their perfect winter soldier. And in part five, we get to see him as that soldier. You know, there's this great, uh, there's this great, what is it called when there is a, when there's a feint where you are led to believe one thing and it's actually something else. I can't think of it and I'm sure you're telling me it right now, dear listener, but there's this great bait and switch. That's the, that's the term where you see cat busting out of a building. And he is being pursued by gunmen. And we see that the year is 1958. A mere 13 years after the pair of them were thrown into the ice. So what is this? At first, you might be led to believe that this is one of the several false caps during the 50s and 60s where Captain America was fighting against the Red Scare and the threat of communism. However, it's not what it looks like. Cap is deadly, using guns to take out his assailants with almost foreign precision. Assassination was never something that Cap was particularly one to revel in, but this Cap is lethal, he's clinical, and he's very good at killing. However, after offing all of his pursuers, he's confronted by the Black Widow, Natasha Romanova. And that is when we are given the reveal that this isn't Cap at all. This is Bucky during his training as the Winter Soldier. And this is where we get one of my favorite things, which is the romance between James Buchanan Barnes and Natasha Romanoff. We get a one-page fill-in to let you know the story of Bucky being found by the Russians, being subjected to torture and experimentation, being given his cybernetic arm and being turned into the perfect soldier alongside the Black Widow. The two of them have fallen in love, though they have to keep their romance a secret because if it was ever let slip that not only did he reclaim some of his past individuality but that he was let's just say compromised by the love that he felt for natasha things could go very wrong for russia's perfect weapon and we see that materialize more or less when he is sent off to kill a very specific target 
Sergei Ivanovich. And when it is revealed that Sergei has a daughter, Bucky hesitates. He's not able to kill Sergei. He only wounds him and has to pursue him through the busy streets until he gets an assist by Natasha. As they corner Sergei and his daughter in an alleyway, he promises that he won't do anything to hurt Sergei's daughter. Natasha takes him away, and Bucky completes his mission. However, when he confronts his superiors about the lack of intel, they recognize that he has been slipping. They recognize that their control, their grip on him, has been loosening. And it's here that they decide to subject him to mind wipes after every mission, containing him after every mission. He can no longer be allowed to roam free in between his missions because they have to keep keep control of their investment. And we see over time him falling to the conditioning, becoming the perfect Winter Soldier, him reuniting with Cap, and him finally reuniting with his lost love. And in the final scene of this story, Bucky reunites with his sister Becca, who has been able to live a normal life, who has been able to grow old. And we get, again, something that the uh, MCU Cat movies would later take. She is living with Alzheimer's, living in an assisted living home. And every time they have their conversation, it's like the first time. It's heartbreaking. It's, man... It is something that you never really are prepared for every single time that you read it. It's one of my favorite scenes in The Winter Soldier when Steve has to have the first conversation with Peggy every single time. But there's a certain bliss to knowing that through all of this, Becca still remembers her her brother Bucky. And that, I think, is the story of Bucky Barnes, that no matter how much his life changes, no matter how much he's been through, no matter how much he's experienced and suffered, at the heart of it is still this kid who desperately wanted to find his place in the world and found it with the help of his friend, his idol. And that's why this has always been kind of a comfort comic for me. It's a comic that I desperately love. And it's a comic that I have no qualms with recommending to literally everybody. Whether you're a Captain America fan or not. Whether it's the beautiful artwork. Whether it's the tragic story of the Winter Soldier. Or whether it's this ending of Bucky being able to share a sweet moment with his sister. The only tie to his former life that he has left to let him know that at the end of this through all of it decades after he lost himself 
that through all of his life as Bucky and the Winter Soldier, he's still James. He's still him. And that doesn't go away. This kid who idealized heroism and defending the innocent is still in there. And at times when I go through struggles, whether it be financial struggles, whether it be physical or health struggles, or whether it be, you know, mental health struggles with depression, stories like this remind me that there is still a little bit of me in there. There's a little bit of that kid who one summer fell in love with a comic book character and spent the rest of his days throwing a frisbee. (laughs) It's tough getting older and watching as your aggregates experiences weigh down on the things that you love and the the things that you used to be able to spend more time on becoming less and less, I don't want to say important, but less and less uh, prioritized. I was a diehard comic book fan as a kid. And I still am today. So much so that I spend at least two to three hours a week talking to you about them. And as I grow older, there are life things that happen that kind of draw me away from the things that I loved as a kid. But every so often, I'm reminded of Captain America. Every so often, I'm reminded of this story, the life story of Bucky Barnes. And every so often, I get this memory of a little kid having just played an arcade game, stepping out, having been inspired to pick up a Thrisbee, throw it at people, but in the name of justice. And every so often I get that feeling it's still there. Through everything I've been through, no matter how many years have gone by, and knowing it's there for that moment is enough. It is now time for the weekly review. This is the segment of our show where I review something weekly. And right now we are reviewing episodes five and six of My Adventures with Superman. It is so nice to be talking about a show I actually like. I am just so excited to talk about this. I'm still loving it. Uh, Getting into it right away. uh, Episode five, You Will Believe a Man Can Lie. Just What a perfect title. What a perfect title. And I know that, you know, people might not immediately get into, like, how 
episodes are named or conventions of that. I know I certainly, when I click on HBO Max, the title of the episode is not something that I immediately look forward or something that I immediately like notice. But choosing to make an episode, you will believe a man can lie, is perfection. And if you needed an indication that this team not only loves Superman but knows exactly what they're doing, that tells you everything to know. And I say that because there has been this weird groundswell of Lois Lane haters because of this episode specifically. And y'all, just calm down. Calm down. Seriously. I, I don't know. Maybe it's just me and maybe I'm being naive or whatever, but I really love the approach that they're taking to Lois, Clark, and Jimmy in this show. Uh, You can call me a scrub. You can call me a shill. I'm loving this show and I'm loving the approach to these characters because, yes, there is a certain amount of... You know, I don't know if I would have had uh, Lois discover the secret this early because it is fairly early on. I think you could have gotten an entire season out of trying, you know, Clark trying to keep the secret. But the way that they're telling the story does not make me feel like, oh, well, you know, they're betraying the characters. They're, you know, ruining these characters. They're ruining the story. This is the story they want to tell, and it's a good freaking story. Uh, Episode five will be... You Will Believe a Man Can Lie is all about Lois trying to expose Clark, which is exactly what Lois would do because she's an investigative journalist. So she's spending most of this episode trying to chase down Superman. Uh, Superman is doing his best to try and stay, you know, three steps ahead of Lois. Clark is, of course, trying to keep a secret. Uh, we get a brand new version of Heat Wave, which was really cool. Uh we also get the uh, the first kind of showdown between Superman and Deathstroke, who is just Wilson in this so far. He's just Wilson. Uh, it's weird, but it's he's you know a little anime boy, so he's having fun. Uh, it looks like he is part of this Task Force X division that is run by uh, Amanda Waller and the General, who I'm pretty sure we all know who this character is. But if you don't, I'm not going to ruin it for you. But the the episode is basically all about Lois and Clark trying to trying to keep each other safe for differing reasons, right? So Lois is trying to expose Clark so that they can move forward with their relationship because as we come to find out in episode six, she is now questioning everything about him and not just him, you know, keeping the secret of his identity from her. And Clark is trying to keep her and the rest of the city safe as all of these freaking robots are trying to destroy Metropolis. But we, you know, we go through all the action, all of the bombast, and at the end of episode five, we get this very real conversation between Lois and Clark, where Lois is like, you need to tell me your secret right now. Like, enough lying, I'm tired of you lying to me. And Clark is like, I... I don't know what you're talking about. And she finally does a very Lois Lane thing, which we've seen before. And she's like, okay, cool. And she jumps off of the Metropolis building. And Clark has no choice but to go and catch her. Sets her back down. They have this argument. 
And the thing about this conversation that I love is that you can see both sides of it. Lois is obviously feeling betrayed and she is incredibly angry with Clark for keeping the secret from her. But Clark tells her, you wanted to expose all of my secrets. Like you told me up front, I'm going to find Superman. I'm going to expose him. And what makes you think I would want to tell you after that? And so both of them have good points. Both of them uh, come from a place of relatability. And all the while, poor Jimmy Olsen is having to deal with Lombard. And Lombard telling him, we're the same. We're wolves. And all this stuff. He's like, your friends don't need you. And we saw, you know, the inkling of this after the Ivo episode where Jimmy sees Lois and Clark walking away for the first time, you know, desperately in love. And him going to his little Bigfoot camping trip alone because Clark and Lois didn't go with him was very sad. And so all of this drama is going on. Again, it's very, it's very anime, but it's also, you know, classic comics. And at the end of the episode, a big gorilla kidnaps him. It looks like Sasquatch. Uh, We don't really know what's going on, which brings us to episode six, my adventures with mad science, uh, where I initially thought I was like, okay, There's a big gorilla, hidden area. We're going to Gorilla City. We are going to Gorilla City. But no, we actually get to meet Monsieur Mala and his partner, the Brain. Doom Patrol fans, rise up. We are getting Brain and Mala rep all over the place. And not just that, they are desperately in love, which has not always been a component of those characters and their relationship. But I'm so glad that it is now because the two of them together are absolute magic. Uh, While this is going on, you know, They're giving their backstory to Jimmy and how Project Cadmus, Cadmus, JLU fans, rise up. Uh, Cadmus was, you know, the alternative to Task Force X. They were two different branches of the same kind of initiative. And seeing how that influences what happens in the rest of the episode is fascinating because you know Clark and Lois are trying to find Jimmy and they are having to go through all these death traps these robots which as we come to find out aren't part of the security and we find out that Task Force X is still trying to get to Mala and to Brain and their black hole technology multiverse portal bullshit and all the while all of this is happening Clark and Lois are having to reconcile this rift between them and this is when Lois tells him like did you lie like that you you know had feelings for me and all this stuff and then he's like why would I lie about that and it's again you want these crazy kids to get together but it's great comic booking it's great tele it's great episodic television storytelling and it's great serialized storytelling because it's moving everything along while introducing new one-off um factors into the episode uh we continue to get more info on the general which again if you know you know and the task force x of it all and all the stuff that's going on with that and i love that at the end you know mala and brain get to go off into the multiverse and we get to see maybe they will wind up in a gorilla city somewhere but i love that they got kind of their happy ending and then jimmy 
full on just says, of course I know you're Superman. And I do love that. I love when Jimmy and Lois find out on their own because of their journalistic integrity or also, I guess, in Jimmy's case for this show because Clark is really bad at lying. And really bad at hiding it. And so you kind of get all of them back together to figure out how to, you know, how to move forward and coexist with all cards on the table now. So I really dug that. Uh, Looks like Ivo as Parasite is going to be helping out uh, the general and task force-esque. X using the leftover and left behind Cadmus technology. So we've got a lot. We've got a lot of plates spinning. I'm really loving what we're getting so far. There has been a distinct lack of magical girl suit-up sequences, which I don't love. I need more of that. But other than that, this is exactly what we need. This is exactly what we need as Superman fans, as DC fans, as comic book fans. You should be watching this. And if you're not, Y'all need to figure stuff out. There's been, you know, the scuttlebutt about like, oh, Lois is the new Amber. Because everybody, you know, y'all remember how there's that big uproar for Amber from Invincible. And you know what I say to that? Good. Because they're both incredibly well-written characters that people are not giving the time to develop because, oh, they're not that in over backwards because there's, you know, it's what the hero wants to do. Look, these characters are allowed to be their own people. They just are. They're allowed to have their own wants, their own feelings, their own desires. I did think in the in episode six, when everybody was kind of hashing out their thing, Clark kind of let the whole, like, you were just going to expose me to the government thing go very quickly. But then again... That's Clark. He's going to forgive everybody for everything. That's just what he does. So it's, you know, like I said, there, there's a, it's not a perfect show, but I do think it is a wonderful representation of the Superman mythos, and it's something that I am absolutely loving. So that is going to do it for... Uh, for the weekly review for this week, going forward, since we are going to be covering uh, Superman exclusively, it's going to be one episode going forward for the next few weeks. And I'm excited about this next episode, Kiss Kiss Fallen Portal, because it looks like we might be getting some Mr. Mitzit Spicklick. But we'll see. Join me for that next week. But for now, let's roll right on into this week's Comics Countdown. <laughs> Welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown for the week of August 9th, 2023. This is the segment of our show where I'll chat you up about all the comics you should be picking up this week, whether it's at your local comic book shop, on Comicsology, or however you get your comics. These are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's books, we got to take a look back at last week's books with the Geek Explain Pick of the Week of last week. And it was very difficult to choose, but ultimately I did settle on Doctor Strange number six. This book is so freaking good, y'all. This book is so good. It's, I think it might be my favorite ongoing book at Marvel right now. It's just the quality is incredible. The art, the writing, the storytelling, it's all peak. And it's setting up a lot of great stuff for what we're going to see next. Really excited about that. Special shout to X-Men 25, though. Shit ruled. 
super good. I am all in on the Xbox again. But that does it for the last week. This week, I've got six books for you to check out, so let's dig into them. First things first, it's Danger Street number eight. This is written by Tom King with art by Jorge Fornes, and Danger Street continues to be a wonderful little book about the strangest weirdos you know, and some that you don't. I'm really enjoying the book right now. I still have no idea how it's going to end, which is kind of exciting in a way. So let's dive into the synopsis and figure out what this week's issue is about. The secret origin of the green team and outsiders revealed. Meanwhile, the Commodore has revenge on the brain as he sends his knight, a.k.a. assassin, to eliminate Manhunter. Do the good guys even stand a chance? With the real superheroes out of commission, the Dingbats may be the universe's only hope. All hail the dingbats! I am super stoked. Can't wait to pick this up. Next up, we have a brand new number one, and that is Children of the Vault number one. Didn't I tell you? I'm all in on those X-books. This is written by Denise Kump with art by Luca Maresca. Uh, This is bringing back the Children of the Vault, and I'm very excited because this is also secretly a buddy cop team-up book. Want to know what I'm talking about? Let's take it to the synopsis. To save the future. The children of the vault are back, and they are determined to be humanity's salvation. But not everything is as it seems, and every utopia has its costs. What is the motivation behind these highly evolved beings gifting the world with their advanced technology? And how do Bishop and a now Orcus captured Cable figure into their plans? I am really stoked about this. This is a little miniseries that is going to... I mean, give us some great time travel shenanigans nonsense. I am super stoked. This is going to be one to look out for, for sure. Next up, we have the Superman 2023 Annual. This is written, of course, by Joshua Williamson with art by Mahmoud Azrar, Jackson Herbert, Caitlin Yarsky, uh, Mark Rayner, and Edwin Gallman. And I don't need to sell you on this book. You know how much I love the Superman books right now, so let's just dig into the synopsis. Metropolis's secrets are revealed. Lois Lane is now editor-in-chief of the Daily Planet, but at heart, she'll always be an investigative reporter. And lately, Metropolis has had a whole new set of secrets she must uncover even if it means investigating her own husband, Superman. Featuring Livewire, Parasite, and Mercy, this special issue is your next big puzzle piece leading to a massive Superman crossover in 2024. Don't miss out. Yeah, I'm all in for more stuff about big old Superman events, so I am excited, and I love Azrar's art, so I'm excited to see him in this. Next up, we have Immortal X-Men number 14. This is written by Karen Gillan with art by Lucas Wernick. I genuinely don't know what this issue is going to be about, so let's dig into the synopsis. To me, my no one. Xavier had a dream. Now, he has nothing. This is the fall of X. He fell. He fell furthest. So I do kind of love that it's setting itself up as like not just the fall of X as of the idea, but the fall of Xavier. Like, is this what drives him into some sort of villainy? I'm really excited. Uh, A lot of people, if if you haven't yet, uh, check out the, what is it? The interview that Jerry Duggan did with Connor over on Cerebro uh, about the Hellfire Gala. 
I don't know if he was there or if somewhere else someone mentioned the quote from Magneto when he died about how Charles will martyr us all. I am... They're playing 40 chess with the X-Books right now, and I can't wait to pick this up. But, of course, the big books of the week, the books I think you should absolutely be picking up, are first, of course, Spirit World number four. This is written by Alyssa Wong with art by Haining. I love this book, and it is so freaking good. You don't need me to gush about it more than I already have, but I will continue to do so. So let's dig into the synopsis. Cass Kane, Batgirl, has died before, and it seems the spirits of the spirit world met her when she passed through before being revived by the Lazarus Pit. But then how come she doesn't remember being there? Then, as Constantine's memories start to fade after being in the spirit world for too long, he begins to turn on Xanthi, who needs to find a way back to the land of living or Constantine will be a permanent resident of the land of the dead. Either way, time's running out. Ah, I love this. This is so freaking good. But the other big book of the week is, of course, Guardians of the Galaxy number five. This is written by the Hive Mind, Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly with art by Kev Walker. I love this book, and this book is supposed to give us some big old answers. Let's dig into the synopsis. The mystery behind Grootfall is revealed. How will this forever change the course of the Guardians? Find out here. I am so excited about this. This is going to be big time. I can't wait to find out the secrets of Grootfall. But that is going to do it for this week's Comics Countdown. To recap, we have Danger Street number 8, Children of the Vault number 1, Superman 2023 Annual, Immortal X-Men number 14, Spirit World number 4, and Guardians of the Galaxy number 5. we got comics all over the place. We've got comics over on Danger Street. We've got comics in Metropolis. We've got comics in the ends of the Earth and the far reaches of the galaxy. And we've got comics in the spirit world. But luckily, you don't have to go very far to your local comic book shop to pick up some amazing comics. And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us on the Explain podcast and you like what I do here, feel free to subscribe on the podcasting platform of your choice and give us a rating and review. We drop new episodes every single Wednesday, and honestly, ratings, reviews, and subscriptions really do help me and the podcast out in this weird podcasting algorithm space. Raises up our stock and gets us out and into the orbit of listeners just like you. And if you give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, whatever you want to call it, I will read your review here live on the podcast. You got to give a five-star written rave review. I'll be forced to read every single word you write. And people have taken advantage of it, but as long as you give me the five stars, the sky is the limit, and I am happy to read whatever you do right. I have been on a quest, desperately, to get to 20 written reviews, and ladies and gentlemen, and my non-binary friends, we are almost there. We are almost there! By the time you're listening to this, we have gotten 19! The nifty 19! I am desperately waiting for the the aggregate tracker uh, app for me to get uh, updated. I know that there is a review coming from our friend Kenneth. I haven't seen it yet, and I need to be able to read it for it to 
for it to be, you know, counted towards our 20, but we are almost there. It's not too late. My birthday is this Saturday as of this recording. So if you can get a review in before we record the book club, we might just be able to do it. But if you do give us that five stars, you'll be able to join the Nifty 19, uh, including Seafire ND, Josh from Panels to Pixels, Matt Draper, Burrito Man 88, Doug from for, for Every Kind of Geek, Wolf, uh, Don Swanson, That Guy Brown, Mouth Dork, Dallas Meeks, Amazing Spider Fan, Alock and AZ, Sass, Jedi Jesse 20, Ken4656, Director Hall, Mullet Overlord, Invisible Man 11, Ed Likes Things, and now Clip. 326 thank you very much 326 clip i just said that backwards and i apologize but clip 326 writes excellent comics podcast this is a very fun enjoyable comics related podcast eric is very knowledgeable and always chooses very compelling relevant topics for his wednesday shows such as his focus on indie books this past december and his x-men focus in another month thank you i also love the friday book club episodes that eric does with his friends jacob and malcolm me too. Uh, the three of them read through long runs of comics such as Invincible or Graham Morrison's Batman run one volume at a time and have great, insightful, and funny discussions. It's been fun to read along with them. Highly recommended. Thank you so much, Clip326. And thank you to all of our reviews. I cannot wait to hear yours. The Nifty 19 needs just one more to get to 20, but why stop at 20? I want to hear all the reviews. Send them on in. If you want to be part of the Geek Explained mailbag, send your emails to geeksplained at gmail.com. Put mailbag in the subject header, and I will read it here on the Wednesday show. If you want to keep up to date with the podcast, participate in polls that decide future episodes, maybe you just want to shoot the shit with me on the latest geeky news, or if you want to get first notifications for announcements for the podcast be sure to follow us on instagram and twitter at geeksplained pod that's at geeksplained pod as i continue to figure out how to get good at instagram and for as long as twitter is around it i refuse to call it x uh that would be the place to do it we're putting out announcements making polls we had an episode recently that was decided on by you the listeners that resulted in me getting to interview jadzia axelrod writer of the new hawk girl series funny things happen when we get those polls out so i really truly do appreciate everyone who participates in those polls uh this is after all a podcast for geeks by a geek so we're all in this together we're all a team finally as mentioned in the review from clip 326 Every single Friday is the Geek Explained Book Club, where I, alongside my fellow Flash family of Malcolm Russell Nelson and Jacob Brown, are going currently through every single issue of every single volume of The Flash Rebirth. This week is going to be part two of The Forces Saga, a highly polarizing uh, segment of the Rebirth Flash run. Uh, Jacob and I tackled the first part of it last week. We had a lot to say, and believe me, we're going to have a lot more to say this week. So tune in this Friday and every Friday. Flash Fridays are a real thing, so be there or be square, not a circle. But that is going to do it for this week's episode. I want to say thank you to everyone who has listened and rung in my birthday with me. 31 is uh, is quite the age. It's weird to think about uh, when you 
go through it and you think about all the years that have come by and all the years you have still yet to go, knock on wood, I guess. Uh, but there's a lot, you know, there's a lot to be thankful for. There's a lot to be grateful for. I've got great friends. I've got great family, a great support system. I've got you, the listeners that I've gained through this podcast. When I started this a long time ago, it feels like this was just one guy shouting into his microphone because he didn't really have anybody to talk to comics with about. Um, and now I get to talk to all of you every single week and you get to talk back with me which is really fun i love having those conversations and i mean i'm getting married next year uh, i have a lovely fiance who is my absolute world and you know life's good life's good i think i lose track of that sometimes i've been going through it mentally and emotionally for a little while now and it hasn't been a fun time um, but oftentimes I think it's me just kind of forgetting how fortunate I am for the things I do have. And I appreciate it. I appreciate all of you. Uh, I didn't mean for that to get too introspective, but it's me. You know how I am. And especially with it being on my birthday, there's a lot of introspection being done. But overall, before I get to uh, Rambly... I want to say thank you very much for joining me on this ride. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. Thank you very much for ringing in my birthday week, month, slash whatever with me. And I can't wait to share more birthdays with all of you. But that is going to do it for this week's episode. Tune in for a brand new episode next Wednesday. Same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for the Geek Explained podcast, I've been Eric Azana. Thank you so much for listening. Everyone stay safe. Stay cool with all the fucking heat and global warming and climate change going on. And we will see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>